listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. You can turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, and the ushers are coming down. They have Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, I encourage you to raise your hand. They'll give you a Bible so you can follow along with what we're going to be looking at. If you don't ha- have a Bible, feel free to take that Bible home with you, and, and that is our gift to you. We even have a number of those um, handout Bibles in large print edition that are also available. Some of that print is pretty small, and so if you would like one of those, you can just request that of one of the ushers or get one from the very back on your way into the worship center on a Sunday. But our greatest encouragement is encourage you to have your own Bible, to have a Bible that you bring to church on Sunday mornings, that you underline, that you read, that you um, look through throughout the week, that you read. And, and even today, there's some um, books. Is Bibles available for sale uh, for you. We don't make money off of this at all. This is, in fact, we probably lose money on it, and that's okay. This is one good thing to lose money on to, uh, for you to have good quality Bibles. We just ordered some children's Bibles. We'll have some available in a few weeks for you in that way as well. Well, I want to begin this morning, Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at that in a moment, but I want to begin by just wishing you all a happy new year. This is kind of the first opportunity, as last Sunday was the last year of 2017, and now we're rolling in. We're six days into 2018, and, and, and six years, or six days, maybe it's felt like six years already into the new year for you. New Year's resolutions perhaps have been made and maybe have been broken. Maybe you're still going strong on some of those New Year's resolutions, or maybe you've just given up on New Year's resolutions. And so oftentimes our resolutions that, that we do make, if you do make them, have to do with health and fitness goals or financial goals or, or other disciplines, areas where we want to kind of key in and on, zone in on. And, and, and see some success or some growth in the coming year. And, and there's nothing wrong with, with New Year's resolutions, and, and the New Year is a good time for this kind of thing. But I'm not going to be talking about resolutions today. I want to start out the year. I want to start out the, um, the day today, as well as the year for us as a church, asking you two important questions. And I trust that these questions would be front and center in your life this week and even in your small group as some of this will be discussed in the small group times as well as just in your own thinking and thoughts and even the notes that I trust you're going to be taking in the message today that things will resonate and you're going to be able to answer these questions. And here are these questions um, that I would like to pose to you here on the start of 2018. God, what is it that you want to do in me And God, what do you want to do through me in 2018? You see, God wants to do something specific, something unique to you in your life. He wants to transform. He wants to change. If you're not saved, if you don't know Christ, he wants to save you. He wants to do something in your life. And and this is an ongoing kind of thing, not just a once was that God did this work in my life and now I'm just kind of just hit coast or or cruise control or really just kind of like there's not even a sign very much of spiritual life except maybe you go to church and every once in a while crack open your Bible or watch a Christian video on Netflix that you might be able to find, you know, but, but, but it's more to it than that. And, and, and this is a question for everyone here in this room, whether Harvest Bible Chapel is your home, this is going to just remind you of some of the truths that we have been building and we believe are foundational in the life of, of our church, what God is calling us to do here in our city and in this region and, and Harvest Bible Chapels around this world. So whether this Harvest Bible Chapel Kelowna is your home church or whether you are new or newer or unsure about this church, we're just going to lay down the cards for you here this morning. 
morning to get an understanding of who we are, what we're desiring to do. Not a perfect church. We are far from perfection or reaching, you know, just, just the areas that we desire to, to accomplish or to reach. And, and, and we fail in various areas as a church. And, and, and by God's grace, we will fail less and, and depend on him more and see God continue to do a great work here in our midst. And we're thankful for what God is doing, but we, we desire more. We want God to do greater things in our church. We want God to do greater things through our church and through our lives. And even if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are still outside. You have not accepted him as, as your Savior. Uh, this, the, these questions are few because, because God wants to do something in your life. He wants to save you. He wants you to, to come into a personal relationship with him and to know him in a personal way, to have your sins forgiven. You're spiritually dead. You are, the, the word of God says, you are an enemy towards God. God's not your enemy, but you are an enemy towards God, and he desires to save you and to have relationship with you, and not only here for time here on this earth, but also for eternity, and so these questions are for each one here this morning. Now, I might be super bold here in what I have to say, but I think I have some pretty good backing in this, but I believe that if you avoid these two questions that we're going to pose here today that we're looking at, you and I, if we avoid these questions and just kind of just cruise through 2018, you and I will fall short of God's plan for our lives. And with some of us not engaging in these questions, it will have an effect on the entire body. It's all, uh, there's cause and effect here. And so these are important questions. No matter how successful no matter how disciplined you are in other areas of your life, no matter how much you knock it out of the park when it comes to your sales or your investments or, or, or in relationships or in social media, um, you know, attractiveness or, or whatever it might be, no matter how well things go for you on the sports field or in the fitness realm or, 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 or even family realm or relationships, this is a year that significant things happen in your family life. And, and, and yet, unless we avoid these questions... God, what do you want to do in me? And God, what do you want to do through me? We will miss the very reason why God has created us for. No matter how well things look on the outside, not paying attention to what God is wanting to do in, in us and through us, we will simply, we'll just fall short. Could have an amazing year on many fronts. But if we believe God, if we believe in a God, and we believe in the word of God, we believe that the Bible is the word of God. We will see throughout the word of God, and I'll show you here in a moment, we have been created, we were made for a relationship with the God of this universe. And the God of this universe created all things. Genesis 1.1, encourage you to write down these references and write down some of these things you see on the screen and study them later at home. In the beginning, it says, God created the heavens and the earth. Another verse, Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, so he's the creator, and for him. Everything has been created by God, through God, through Jesus, as we'll read here in a few moments, but also for him. 11, uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 36, it says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. 
When we see in the book of Revelation, when we see the elders gathering around the throne and they are ascribing worth and glory and honor to God, we see that we have been designed, we've been made for a relationship with God. And in that relationship, we ascribe worth and glory to the God who has saved us, who has made us, who who does all things and he does them well. You see, we've been created to enjoy a personal, deepening, ongoing relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And until we engage in that relationship, there will be a proverbial hole in our hearts. If you don't have that relationship with him or you're ignoring that relationship, it's kind of on the the back burner of your life right now. You're not paying a lot of attention to it. There is that hole in your heart. You can fill it with all kinds of things. What's the Powerball, I think, in the States? It's in the hundreds of millions of dollars. There's two lottos that are going on this weekend, I heard, both in the hundred million dollar range. You can fill that hole and stuff it with the hundreds and the hundreds. That hurt a little bit. Hundreds of millions of dollars. And that won't fill your life. That won't complete you. In fact, it will complicate things even more if you were to ever win that. We can fill it with all kinds of good things and great things. And un- but unless we are fulfilling and living for what we have been created to live for and what we've been made for, we will never be satisfied. We're always going to think there must be something more. There will be an emptiness and it is only a hole that, that God fills through his son, Jesus Christ, in that initial relationship at salvation, but also in the ongoing relationship that we enjoy with our God. And unless that is happening, we're going to get bogged down. We're going to get tired. We're going to be empty. We're going to get angry. We're going to get worn out. And you say, yeah, that's been my six days to 2018 already. Who would say, yes, that's been there already? Remember, you're in church, don't lie. Um, Anyways, I mean, even for me, I'm realizing, okay, God, you need to do a new work in me and through me. I can't muscle through this on my own. I need more of you. I do. My family would, would admit I need more of him in my life, in my attitude, in my actions. You know, in this electronic age that we live in, it seems that when our electronics are acting up, not working right, whether that be our phones or, or our computers or, or our PVRs or our modems or whatever, one of the first things that you are told is what? Power it down. Shut it off. Turn it off. Turn it back on. And it kind of forces a whole reboot, a reset. And oftentimes, once you do that, everything starts working a lot better. If not, there's oftentimes reasons or, or other reasons why that ends up happening. And yet, it's so important that, that you do. That, that's usually the first thing they tell you to do. Recently, this past week, I, I have some ongoing issues with my truck and, and uh, some electronic or electrical kind of issues going on. And, and so, I was looking online at Mechanic YouTube to find out just what exactly the problem might be. And, and it's amazing. I mean, just as, as I find out, even in what I'm dealing with with, the, with my vehicle and that, they're saying, first things first, take and disconnect your battery for 30 minutes and, and uh, follow a few other little procedures and it may all reboot itself and will get working the way that it should. And, uh, and, and, and this verse today is basically what we're going to be doing here today. It's, it, it's kind of disconnecting the battery. It's kind of that fact coming back to factory specifications and how God has made us and how he desires us to live our lives and how he wants us to go into 2018. Asking those questions, God, what do you want to do in me and through me? 
And so today we're going to look at just a few verses in Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to really actually narrow in on one verse itself, but we're going to look at Colossians chapter 1, a good chunk of, the, uh, of it in its entirety, going to read um, a good part of it, but we're going to focus in on one verse. And I believe that so, in so many ways, this verse 28 can restore us back to manufacturers' settings for our lives. And, uh, and, and I trust at the end of our time here this morning, as we then go into a time of worship in the Lord, Lord's Supper, that it would be a great giant reset in our lives and even in the life of our church, that there would be examination of our heart, of our priorities, of where we're at, as well as repentance, there would be prayer, and then celebrating and thanking God for sending his sacrifice, Jesus Christ, to this earth for us. And so, our focus here is going to be on verse 28, mainly here in Colossians chapter 1, him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The first thing I encourage you to write down, the first thing we see right here in this verse is, first of all, Jesus is our message. We proclaim him. It says, him we proclaim. It's not about proclaiming us. It's not about me. It's not about my accomplishments. It's about making much of Jesus ultimately in our lives. Nothing wrong with celebrating, but let's make sure that the glory and the honor and, and, and the worth is going to Jesus even in our good accomplishments and the good things that God has allowed to happen in our lives, that there is a heart of thanksgiving and rejoicing in all things. We don't proclaim ourselves. We're about making much of Jesus and, and, and our lives are to be about him, what we are saying, what we are doing, how we are living, how we are acting, how we are reacting, is to be in proclamation of him. And again, so oftentimes we can so easily fall short, but I trust that we're falling short and we're falling forward, that, that we're learning, we're growing. It's, the transformation is slow, but it's, it, it's taking place. That's the process of sanctification happening in our lives. Just some quick understanding to, to the context here of what's going on in this chapter. Paul is writing this letter to the church in Colossae. The, this Colossian church was a good church. He had never been there on any of his missionary journeys, but now Paul is writing. He's writing to them in prison. This is known as one of his prison epistles. He's heard that this was a good church. Probably Epaphroditus was either the founding pastor or the pastor there at the time. Had a significant part of the work there and, and was a part of that work. But now Paul is in prison and he's hearing some discouraging reports about the church and what is going on. After a great start and some great things happening, the church was being influenced. They were being impacted and, and people were being led away by some false teachers and teaching that was going on, which later on would be known as or called the Gnostics. And, and, and Gnosticism is, is an ancient teaching, but still has incredible roots into our lives here today, as you'll see in a few moments. These false teachers were, were going around and they were trying to diminish Jesus, who he was, and, and the work that he accomplished on the cross. And they were redefining him, saying that he wasn't the son of God. And, uh, and, and, and just going on, um, saying that, that he wasn't all God and all man at the same time. This is a problem. This is, goes against what God's word has to say, and this greatly affects our salvation if that is, is indeed not true. Another thing these false teachers would do is that they would promote their own teaching. They would, would gather people around them, and they would claim this deeper knowledge, this, this deeper experience that you can have and you must have, and they're the only ones that could deliver that kind of uh, deeper experience with, with God. Another thing that they would do is 
they would, would, would see sin very loosely. They would see that throughout the course of the week they could sin, they could live their lives contrary to the word of God, they could do whatever they would want, and they could justify it and explain it even biblically that it was okay for them to do it and they knew that they could find forgiveness even in the midst, even if they, what they were doing was wrong, but they could completely justify sin. And sadly, these just aren't issues that were being faced back then. These are are front and center issues within churches today, here in North America, here in Canada. We see that this kind of Gnosticism is very much alive, where Jesus is being redefined, that he, he, he wasn't the son of God, that he wasn't fully God, fully man, that he was a good prophet, he was a good teacher, that some of our cults and other religions believe that, but that's even creeping into evangelical churches. They're downplaying the work of Jesus Christ, that that he wasn't um, the son of God, that he was a good man, but he wasn't the God man. Even today, we see that, that people within churches, and we even have to examine our own lives, people who claim to be followers of Christ and, and, and to follow him and, and, and to find their salvation in him are able to excuse and make all kinds of, of reasons why their sin is acceptable and justifying wrong lifestyles, lifestyles that are contrary to the word of God. We're seeing that today. In fact, this week I came across one of the Harvest Pastors posted on a wall uh, a Barna research study. And, and the Barna group is a group that monitors and kind of um, checks out trends and different things, spiritual trends in North America. Now, these are United States statistics, but I don't think we would be far off from these. In fact, we may even be a little bit worse off than this. And, and this just shows us that Gnosticism is, is very much uh, alive today, this kind of teaching. And, and in this Barna research, they, they came across and, and, and found out and reported that 92% of Americans believe that Jesus was an actual historical person. So that's pretty high percent, 92%. That's good that 92% of Americans believe that Jesus was a historical person, that he actually lived here on this earth. However, 56% of the population, of the general population, and down to 48% of millennials believe only that number believes that Jesus is God. They simply believe that he was a good teacher, but that he wasn't God incarnate, that he wasn't God in the flesh. Again, 56% of the general population, 48% of millennials. And then it, that, those numbers even lower a little bit more. 52% of Americans, um, and, and this goes in the opposite direction. I should have had these on the screen for you. And 56% of millennials believe that Jesus committed sins while he was here on earth that Jesus was not sinless. Half of Americans and, and almost and 56% of millennials believe that Jesus, while he was here on earth, sinned. Folks, you might think, well, is that really a big deal? Yeah, it's a big deal because that's redefining Jesus. That's not the, that's not the Jesus that we read about in the word of God. This is totally would affect our understanding of the atonement, about the penal substitutionary atonement, that Jesus was that spotless lamb of God who went to the cross, who died on the cross for our sins is the perfect son of God. It has huge implications then for our salvation and for the forgiveness of our sins if we do not believe that. And so how does Paul counteract this kind of teaching? What does he do to kind of wake these people up? 
Well, here in Colossians chapter 1, I encourage you to have your Bibles open. You're going to be doing something here in a moment, and so be ready to, uh, to move in a moment. And, and don't get nervous. It's not that scary. But first of all, what we see here in Colossians chapter 1, and encourage you to read it over this week, Paul gives one of the most powerful, compelling, and most beautiful descriptions in all the Bible of who Jesus is and what he has done for us and what he wants to do in, and what he has done in us. With all the influences and temptations and false teaching around then and even today, we can easily lose the understanding of who Jesus is. And we become so casual about this and think it's not a very big deal. And so what are we going to do? We're going to counteract that kind of thinking and that kind of teaching that's there today. And we want to proclaim Jesus because he's worthy. We proclaim him because he's the one that paid the sacrifice, the, the sinless son of God. God in the flesh. And so this morning is a declaration. I'm going to actually have, I'm going to read a number of verses. I'm going to just out of respect and out of celebration and awe of what our God has done in sending his son Jesus, I'm going to ask you to lower your seats and stand up as we read God's word. I'm going to read this before you have your Bibles open, if you have your Bibles, but I encourage you to join me in standing as we read God's word here when it comes to who Jesus is and what he has done. And so, out of respect, out of thanksgiving for our great God, I'm going to start in verse 12. It says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God. In other words, you want to know what God looks like? Look to Jesus, the firstborn of all creation. For by him and for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the true senior pastor of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Amen? That is what he has done for us. You may have a seat. Because of Jesus, folks, we have been delivered from a life of spiritual darkness. From spiritual death, we have been delivered. He has made us a part of his family. He has made us an object of his love. He's redeemed us through his blood. He's forgiven us all our sins. All our sins. He holds the universe together. We can have relationship with God. We can have peace with God. Now that's a lot that he's invested in us. And these false teachers were coming along and trying to steal the people's hearts away from the very one who has done the heavy lifting, who has changed their lives, who has changed their eternity, who has woken them up spiritually. 
And Paul is saying, don't settle for these teachers. Don't settle for these teachings. Stick with Jesus. Proclaim Jesus. We are about Jesus. And that is why here at Harvest Bible Chapel, we make much of Jesus because he is worthy. It's about Jesus in our worship. He's the focus. We proclaim Jesus. Every sermon is about Jesus. Every lesson in our Harvest Kids as they are working through the Old Testament and as they're in the New Testament even currently, every lesson brings it back to Jesus. The songs we sing, the small groups that meet, the parking lot greeters that are out greeting you, those in the lobby, those who set up and take down, those who serve during the week and on Sundays in various capacities. Folks, it's all because of Jesus and it's all to be about Jesus, not ourselves. We proclaim him. It's him. It's Jesus. It's not the Harvest name. It's not the pastor name. It's not any other name above the one name of Jesus. That is who we proclaim. That is who we are about. When we gather together for worship, we gather to do so to get our eyes off of our problems, off of our frustrations and our hurts and our worries. And yet so oftentimes we can come in and we can, can, can think of anything else rather than actually focus in on the words that, that we're singing. And as we, we, the words have depth, they have meaning, and, and they do a work of stirring us in our hearts. We invite Jesus into our lives. We worship Jesus. We ascribe worth to him. We give glory to him because he's worthy, because he deserves it all. And when we give Glory to him when we ascribe worth to God with hungry hearts, with open hearts, repentive hearts. It can happen on a Sunday morning, can happen throughout the course of the week as we worship him. When we come to him ready to receive from him, God's glory comes down and he meets us and that's the manifest presence of God becomes a reality in our lives. And when we walk out of here through the course of the week and we live our lives in our homes, at the workplace, on the streets, and the jobs, wherever we go, it's about proclaiming Jesus, making much of him. Not making much about our company and much about ourselves. Yes, you have to promote it. You have to do the work that you're to do. But ultimately, we ascribe worth and we give glory to him for all things. In our hearts, and even be ready to speak it and proclaim it on our lips or on our texts. It's all because of him. You don't believe me in this? Well, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Consider Jesus. You can continue to read the rest of the passage there in Hebrews chapter 3. Consider Jesus. Yet so oftentimes we do the opposite. We consider ourselves. We consider our wants, our needs, what this will make me look like, not what it will make Jesus look like, not how it will proclaim Jesus. I read a post on social media this week. I, you folks don't know this person. But I read this post, and, and it's a church-going person, and, and it's been a tough year for, for her, for her family, it would seem, and, and, and she describes a roller coaster of events of things that have taken place, and, and at the end of her post, she says, well, 2018, I'm going to take more time for myself, more self-love, she called it. Now, I don't know her exact situation, and maybe she does need uh, some rest, and maybe there's some exhaustion that's going on, and, and she needs to balance her life. That could be very well, very true. But folks, help and peace and power isn't going to come through self-love. But real, true, ultimate help, power, and victory comes from Jesus. 
When we put our eyes on him, when we consider him, Hebrews 12, 1 and 3, encourage you to write down that as well and, and to follow, uh, to read that this week. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We don't fix our eyes on our problems, on our issues, on that person who's ticking us off. Uh, we don't focus our, uh, our mind fully, constantly on our accomplishments and successes. It's, we fix our eyes on Jesus. Any good that comes in our lives, we... We're praying prayers. We're breathing in prayers of, oh God, thank you so much. And, and have opportunity to speak with our lips to those around us. It's about considering him, fixing our eyes on him, the author, the perfecter of our faith. It's about proclaiming Jesus in our work and how we prioritize our time and how we spend our money. As our business grows, our finances increase, as our church grows, or even if none of those things happen that we're hoping for in 2018, we proclaim, we consider, we get our eyes on Jesus. That is when God starts being able to do that new work in us, and he powerfully works through us to those around us. We proclaim Jesus with our lives, with our lips. Now get this, including our suffering. Some of you might be thinking, okay, Melvin, I, I, I was, you know, buying what you were selling just before that, but we proclaim Jesus even in our suffering? Yeah, we do. In our trials, in our difficulties, and you know what? They're sure to come in 2018. Some of us may already have a little blip on the radar. We may see a little bit already what may be coming our way just because of how 2017 ended. But there's going to be surprises and things that we will not, that we don't see coming. And there will be trials, there will be difficulties that some will walk through. Many of us will in various ways, we don't know, and yet it's in these times we can trust Jesus. It's Jesus in our suffering. Look at in verse four of Colossians chapter one. Because Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Where's Paul writing from? From prison? Second Corinthians chapter 11, encourage you to write down that reference. Second Corinthians 11, he gives a description of the sufferings of, of just some of the sufferings that he went through for the cause of, of Christ and cause of the, the gospel. But he's saying, my sufferings and what I went through, I rejoice in. Who's he rejoicing to? To Jesus. He's rejoicing that he went through this because it meant that other people would be reached with the gospel. Because he didn't pack it in at the first sign of opposition, when he got tired, when he got weird, he didn't pack it in when he got stoned and, and left for dead. He didn't pack it in when, when he ended up in prison, when, when he was constantly being refuted and, and, and difficulties, when, when he was shipwrecked, when people were trying to, to take him out to try to kill him in various ways. He didn't give up. He was rejoicing, not easily, not, I'm sure in some of those trials he wasn't going along singing, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And with a, you know, plastic kind of smile. No, it was hard. It was difficult. And yet he kept rejoicing and kept his eyes fixed on Jesus. There would have been no, church in, no churches in Asia Minor, nothing in Colossae if it wasn't for Paul enduring and rejoicing in the midst of his sufferings. You see, folks, when sufferings come and we keep our focus, we keep our eyes on Jesus our, and, and our perspective on him, and we think of his sufferings, we think of what he's gone through. God works in our heart. He works in the person who takes their sufferings and trusts Jesus through those sufferings, through those trials and through the difficulties. And he works good and he brings good into that person's life. And it, re, and it overflows into the lives of others. Suffering can sharpen, can sharpen our focus. It purifies our hearts. 
It can draw us closer to God and to his word and it becomes more real and we become more dependent on it. And the end result is that it blesses those around us. I can think of many people who have blessed me through their testimony of suffering. Can you think of people in your life who have walked through trials and difficulties and they've, they, they've stayed the course, they've trusted Jesus, not, perf- not perfectly, but progressively and, and, and the overall scheme of, of, of the whole, how it all played out. You see how they, they held on to Jesus and how it was such a blessing. The reason why there's churches in North America today was because of people who persevered. I have stood with many, many, many people over the course of the years that I've been involved in ministry, walking through some of the most painful and difficult circumstances. Challenges, loss, hurt, confusion. And in so many cases, I have this brief conversation with them. But I usually take a step back just in case they want to punch me in the face. No one has done that yet. And yet at times I wouldn't blame people for doing so because it doesn't make sense. But as I've talked with people across the desk or on the floor, on their living room floor, kitchen table, and I've said to them as their hearts are breaking, and I've said, if you are able to hold on to Jesus and the truths of the word of God and allow his spirit to do a new work and a fresh work in you and allow God's people to help you and encourage you and help, help you along the way, there will be a time, and this is usually when I take a step back, that you will end up giving God thanks for what has happened. You will give glory and worship to Jesus for this trial, for this season, for this tragedy. And ultimately, one day in heaven, you will give God the ultimate praise and glory because you will see the bigger picture of how he brings, works all things together for our good. One of those devastating things happened. It started on a Sunday morning. Young pastor, struggling church. We had some new believers in the church. This couple, they were expecting their second child. They were so excited to have child number two. And, and, uh, but early on, on, on a Sunday morning, we got the phone call that, this, uh, that the expecting mother was going into very early labor. It was months early. It was far too early, but there were complications. There were issues, and so they were going to, um, to deliver this little one. By the time our two services ended that Sunday morning, the phone call came, said, get to the hospital quickly. Things are not good. And by the time I got there, their little baby passed away. Devastating for that family, for new believers, and even for our church, and even for a young pastor who, who really d- at times didn't even know what he's doing and still oftentimes still feel that way. And I stood with them in the living room a few days, um, just right before the funeral, and, and as new believers, I shared, them, shared with them these truths, and I said, I believe that as you hold on to Jesus, as you hold on to the word, and you allow him to work and allow his church to minister and his spirit to do this work in your life that one day there's going to be praise and thanksgiving to God for what he has done. And it was some time later, it was like not even a full year at a Thanksgiving service, they stood up and gave testimony, giving God thanks that they have a little child waiting for them in heaven, giving them an urgency and a reason to tell the world about the gospel, about how they too can go to heaven, how they can go and meet little baby Matthew who is waiting for them in heaven 
in the arms of Jesus. And what God did in their lives in and through that grew them and it blessed our church and it blessed the lives of so many others. Even in our sufferings, we can rejoice. We need others. We need the word of God. We need a, a heart that is ready to receive from God in the midst of that. But we can even proclaim Jesus in our sufferings. Will we do that? 2018 when it comes. Folks, God, this is truth. We're talking about God's word is true. It works. But I've also seen others who have said, who have not trusted the Lord. They, they've trusted their own instincts. They've trusted their passions. They've trusted this or that or another thing. And, and it just shambles their lives. And it's one trial after another. And, and they're missing out on a God who desires to restore and bring them to the point of rejoicing in the midst of their trials. That is the kind of work that our God does. That is the work that he will do in and through each one of us. I think of some of the personal battles that I've gone through over the years and buy me a steak dinner somewhere and I will tell you all about them, but it would take that long uh, for me to be able to tell them. But some of the personal struggles, some of the emotional struggles, some of the seasons of confusion in my life in areas of ministry, some of it in, in public ways, some of it in personal ways. And I remember thinking in the midst of some of those struggles, there is no good in what this is accomplishing. There's no good in this. There's no good. There, there's nothing good that could ever, will ever come from this. But as God used those events to humble me and, and, and to, to cause me to go to others, and, and one of the key people that I've gone to over the years, my first go-to is my dear wife. And as I get real and I get honest before her and say, I need help, and I rely on the body of Christ and I cling to the word of God and have those faithful people around me standing with me in those trials and those discouragements. God's spirit does that work and I'm a changed person and I can look back over those trials and I can look over those chaotic times in our, in our lives, in my own life personally, in, in minister, ministry life, and I can say, God, to you be the glory, I give you thanks. But are we willing to trust? Are we willing to proclaim Jesus in all things, not just when things go well. The second thing we see here, in order for God to do a new work in me and through me, it's about proclaiming Jesus is our message, but second of all, warning and teaching is our mandate. Look at what it says here in verse 20. It says, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Warning, that's a strong word. In the original, it means sounding the alarm for the people. Sound the alarm for the people who have not repented of their sin, who have not trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Sound the alarm for the prodigal who is walking away from God. Sound the alarm. It says in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, warn, sound the alarm for the idol. Those who are just coasting spiritually. That word warning also means correcting. Do you allow God's word to correct, to warn you? Do you allow God's people at times to speak into your life? I'm seeing this in your life. This isn't right. Do, do people have that avenue to be able to speak into your life? Are you teachable? We are to warn others, but we're also to receive that warning from, from one another. One of the things we say here at Harvest, uh, oftentimes we'll say that, that we desire to do things in, in a culture of clarity, simplicity, and urgency. Well, this warning part, that's the urgency part. We are going after Jesus. We're going to stop messing around. Time is short. We've got to get after our walk with God, our relationship with others, our evangelism, our sharing with others. That's the urgency. We, time is short. The return of Jesus Christ is closer this year than it was last year. And the way world events are happening, it's a coming. 
There's urgency and a desperate in, 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 in our lives, even in our worship. Oh, how much we need him. We need him in our lives on a daily basis. And then it says teaching. It says warning and teaching. Here's the clarity and the simplicity part of the urgency, clarity, and simplicity. You see, we're here to give you teaching from the word of God, not simply just to give you some helpful advice or some consideration. Not here to give you some nice feel-good stories or 10 steps to, 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 to self-help steps in your life. We just also don't want to just fill you up with a whole bunch of knowledge so that you're a walking commentary or theology book. No, we want to teach with application so that you can take God's word and you can apply it to your life. We believe in expository preaching with an applicational focus. And you say, what is that all about? Well, we believe that we want to open the word. We want to open a book. We want to look at a verse or a, or a chapter or an entire uh, book of the Bible. And we do that here. That's what we desire to do. We look at the original context in which it was written. And then we look at that and we apply it to our lives and say, God, what are you saying to us? as your people. That's how we want to study God's word. We want to take and apply it to our word, not just be hearers of the word, not just become fat heads of the word of God, but we want to get out there and we want to exercise and we want to live the word of God. I like what one of our harvest pastors wrote in a little form to other harvest pastors. He said, pretty preachers preaching in pretty, preaching pretty messages and pretty buildings. You can tell he's a setup guy. To pretty people is a recipe for irrelevance because messy people need a blood-stained cross proclaimed by passionate preachers. That is a recipe for life-changing transformation. It's real life. Forget the plastic and shiny kind of stuff. We need a Savior. We need that blood-stained cross daily in our life to, to come to Jesus in repentance and forgiveness, to come to him for strength and for power in all things. That is a recipe 2018 being an amazing year. Notice it goes on to say, with all wisdom. This isn't simply about one's own intellect and knowledge. This is a reference to the word of God. That's where true and ultimate wisdom come from. It is the lens. God's word is the lens that gives us our eyes to see life, relationships, the struggles we face, the struggles we see going on in our world allows us to see it not from our perspective, not from a doctor's perspective, but from God's perspective so that we can take and apply these biblical truths, these doctrinal truths to our lives and to what we're seeing going on around us. But when we, and when we fill our, our minds with God's wisdom, it affects how we see everything from history to politics to entertainment to philosophy. When we're seeing it through the lens, through God's perspective... You know, you hear so much these days about binge watching. And we desire to binge watch on, on, on Netflix. And, and, and I'm not saying that that kind of thing is, should never happen or anything. I, I, whatever. But I, I wonder, in our binge watching, do we ever do any binge reading? Where we just get into the word of God and we can't put it down. Or is it, yep got my verse today and I'm good to go. It showed up on my phone as my little notification and, you know, or my little reading. Do we ever take any time to do some binge reading of the word of God where God's word is alive and it is active and it's, hey, we just can't, can't get enough of it. Would you consider some binge reading this week? And in fact, at times we, have, we do need to turn off the news. We need to turn off the television set. We need to log out of social media. We need to turn off the Netflix and open our Bibles and encounter truth. 
You see, if, if we are more politically attuned, if we're knowing what is going on, and if we're more culturally attuned than biblically attuned to what is going on, we will fail to see the world in the way that God wants us to see this world. And as we head into 2018, I want to challenge you. Do you have a plan? Do you have a plan to read, to study the Word of God? Do you have some sort of a reading plan where you're regularly, hopefully daily, reading the Word of God? This is so important. You might say, well, it's kind of hit and miss. I just kind of open up whatever, and I am kind of do this and that, you know, and just as the Spirit leads and stuff like that. No, the Spirit's leading you to open the Word daily. That is what the Holy Spirit desires for us to be in the Word of God. And what's that whole thing? So I ask you, what's your plan? And that little statement, fail to plan, plan to fail. Yeah, I think that's very true here. And, and, and we want to offer you just to go on our website, and we even have some printed for you today. Here's how to do this in case some of you wonder. This is the front page of the website if you open up our website. So go to the website, go to resources, then go down to study resources, then down to Bible reading plans, open that up, and look at all of these Bible reading plans. Now, there's many others out there uh, that you can have, but let's just open up one of these here. Here is one. This is 50 key. Old Testament chapters and 50 passages as well as 50 key Old Testament ones. Let, let, let's go back. Um, here's another one. This will get you through the Word of God in the course of the year. It's a five-day plan. So, so you read five days. So if you get a little bit behind, you're bogged, bogged down or you don't read a day, it, it, it's not like, oh man, I, I got to keep my seven-day plan up. There's we have some of these printed for you, but, but just look at this listing here. Th th there's one, 260 key passages and 52 memory verses. These are key passages that, that some Bible teachers have taken and have selected and said these are 260 key passages that you should read and you should be aware of that are in the Word of God. There's, there's all of these. There's a three-year plan if you're a slow reader or like to work through it. And, and remember, the whole thing isn't about just reading through the Word of God. <laughs> Made it. It's about allowing God's word to work through you. And so if you get slowed down and bogged down at times, that's okay. But continue to keep reading and feeding yourself in the word of God. I trust that you do that. And then the last thing we see here in this passage is um, maturity is the goal. So if Jesus is our message, warning and teaching others, are we are we receiving warning? Are we receiving teaching? But also, are we teaching others? God has placed people in all of our lives that we are to warn and we are to teach. Are we doing that? And the goal is maturity. It goes on to say here in, in, in verse 28, it says that we may present... What's, what, what, what's that next word? That we may present... Some people, good people, people like us, everyone, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. You know, one of the, the great things that I get to do as a pastor is to be able to perform wedding ceremonies. And there's one part of the wedding ceremony. Sometimes wedding ceremonies aren't all that much fun because you have to deal with the mother of the bride. Um, you know, and once you get past that life, you know, like it's good for everyone, you know, and I'm just kidding. Uh, not really, it's true. Um, anyways, um, one, of the, one of the parts of the wedding ceremony that I just absolutely just love and 
no matter how many weddings I've done, I get chills up and down my spine when this part, when it comes to this part of the ceremony. And it's after there's been the vows and, and, and uh, the commitments to one another and after some singing and, you know, a message and different things. And, and, and there's been the exchanging um, of, of the vows and that they're, you know, till death do us part and all of that. And it comes down to the part when I get to say, I with the authority vested in me as a minister of the gospel, and the laws of this land, I pronounce you husband and wife. And the chills go up and down my back. And it's just like, that's so awesome that I get to announce these people for the first time, husband and wife, a few minutes later after they've signed the register and they're about to go walking down the aisle into marital bliss for the rest of their lives. Um, I get to declare to them, uh, declare to, to the people uh, in the audience, I declare to you for the first time, Meldon, and Charlotte, Lutzer, per se, kind of thing, you know. And, uh, and, and again, just, and everyone's clapping and whistling and, you know, great moment. The Bible tells us that there is a day that we will stand before God and we will give an account of how we lived our lives here on this earth. Every one of us will. We will stand before God as believers in Christ. We will stand before him and give an account. And on that day, it won't be about our earthly accomplishments and all the things we knocked out of the park here on earth. It's not going to be about what we've done or built. It's not going to be about our net worth because you know what our net worth at that point, it's all going to be the same. Zero. It won't matter. And what we will do is we will present before our God the lives of those who we've impacted. It goes, what did Paul say here? He says that we may present everyone mature in Christ. We will stand before God and we will present those who have been over our care as parents, in the workplace, in our neighborhoods. And if some of them do not know Christ, we will be held accountable for that. That where we had opportunity, where we've wasted away time and opportunity. One of the things that scares me is this passage because there is even a higher standard for pastors that I will present Harvest Kelowna before God, was I faithful in leading and teaching and warning and, and spurring you folks on, not just to commitment, but to transformation, to sanctification. And I trust that out of Harvest Kelowna, it would be a group that one day we'd present before the Lord of growing, maturing, being transformed by the word of God, spirit-filled, prayerful, worshipful, influencing their families, their cities, their region, their nation, their world for the gospel. This is the mission of the church. This is the mission for you and for me. This is our mission. It's not just simply about putting in time on a Sunday morning. It's about growing and maturing and serving and, 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 and sacrificing, not simply consuming. The Christian life is so much more than that. And if you can show me that that, that it's anything different than what we're talking about, that it's about coasting and being served and, and being served bonbons or whatever it might be to, to make your uh, spiritual experience more palatable uh, for you. Well, um, great. I, I don't think you'll find it in the word of God. The Christian life is so much more than just praying a prayer and just thinking you're saved and that's all there is to it, just coasting to heaven and yet so many people are living like that. You see, the... If that indeed has happened, that's our justification before God. Justification is that point in time where we stand before God as a guilty sinner. 
And because we place our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, we are declared innocent of all sins. One believes, when one believes that Jesus died on the cross in our place as a substitute for us, and we surrender our lives to him, that is when we are saved. That's justification. That puts us in right standing before God. And that's a one-time act. But sanctification is an ongoing journey. It's when we become more and more like Jesus, where he's knocking off the rough edges day by day in our lives. It's where we are thinking and acting and living and reacting more and more like Christ than we did last year or yesterday. And none of us are there yet. It's a process. It's a lifelong process. And one of the things we talk about here to kind of help and to kind of guide and, and, and to give you kind of a visual but also a practical way to live this out is we refer to as the 5G life. And, and this is kind of, this is a discipleship model, but it's more than that. This is relationship. This is, a, this is about a relationship with God, a relationship with one another, and a relationship with our world. And, and all of this, it's available for you to look at further, messages to look at that we preached through a year ago at this time, and, and about these five Gs. It's about God time. How, how is your God time going? That daily time, intentional pursuit of God daily. That gather time, a love for God's family, wor working together, worshiping together. That group time, a commitment to consistent growth. Are you going to be part of a small group this year and make that commitment? These are important kind of commitments. To have others that are walking with us, warning, teaching, warning, teaching that we are also doing to others. Give time and resolve to steward the gifts God has entrusted to me and go time. It's exciting to have a number of people go to the gospel mission yesterday and do some local time, go time, and look for some ways that we can serve in our city in that way. Now, you might be sitting here, Mel, and say, you know what, I hear what you're saying, Mel, and it's all fine, that's all good, but you know what, I'm exhausted. I'm barely moving. I'm barely making it. I can't add more to my life. I, Whose power am I going to, where am I going to get the power for this? Where is this going to happen? Verse 29, it's the answer. Paul says, for this I toil, struggling. Paul is saying here, he says, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. It's going to be a battle. But he goes on to say, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. When we come to him and say, Lord, I can't. Lord, I'm empty. He fills us. He empowers us. It's his strength that, that empowers us. We must plug into his power. And Paul is saying, yes, this laboring, this struggling, it's hard, but we're going to keep going. And as we close here this morning and prepare for the Lord's Supper, the band is just going to play quietly and uh, encourage you just to spend a few moments just looking at those first two questions that we talked about here this morning. God, what is it that you're wanting to do in me? God, what is it that you're wanting to do through me this year? Oh God, would you do this new work, a fresh work? Is there a certain discipline you need to grow in or you need to get serious about? An area of accountability, an area you need to come clean on, an area of sin that needs to be repented of? Changes need to be made? It's taking perhaps the uncertainties, the fears, the battles, the people and releasing them to God. Maybe that's what God is wanting to do. He says, give me that trouble. Give me that struggle. I'm bigger than that. I, I, I can see I can see through that completely, but we can't. Maybe there's areas where you're stealing the glory that God deserves in your life and you need to repent of that. The God who has saved you and redeemed you and has given you all things, he deserves that. And then praying, oh God, what is it you want to do through me? It's not chasing your own pursuits and your own pleasures. God, what do you want to do through me? through my gifts, through my talents, through my time? We all have those in, in varying degrees. In my influence you give me, how can I... 
How can I proclaim you in a greater way? God's, God can be speaking to you right now about those areas. Spend some time just in a few moments of quiet reflection.